I love it when you guys are talking a lot and communing. You know what I love? I'll tell you something I love and something I hate. I love that no smoke has rolled in yet. Yeah. So if you live here long, last year it came in the third week of July and never left. Don't jinx it. Okay. If I believe in the power of jinx, I would be keep quiet. But um, so I don't believe in that. So now something I hate, which starts with the sermon. Um, I hate dirty windshields. And my, the rest of my car is filthy. I'm telling you, if you see it, you know this. But I've got to see out the windshield. I just, I just hate it. And we were on vacation a few weeks ago, you know, we were some friends. And we got into their truck to go hiking. And the windshield was, was horrendous. I could not see out it at all. And we were going to be driving for two hours to the hiking trail. And I said, can you clean that? So he turned the windshield wipers on and water spit out on it. And the wipers were terrible. And it just turned it into mud. And we're driving, and I'm like, I can't do two hours of this. It, it's, a pho- it's a weird, it's a weird, it's not a phobia, it's what do you call a, an issue. I got an issue. And um, thank you. <laughs> um, so I said, can we please pull over a gas station and clean the window? And, and here's my point for my sermon. Today we are going to finish up Psalm 51. And we're going to look at David's plea to be cleansed from his sin. And too many of us go through life settling for dirty windshields in our walk with God. And we don't know that we've been cleansed. And we don't live in that cleansing. And so this is is a very important message that it's it's about David's repentance from his sin with Bathsheba. If you were here last week, you know that David was supposed to go to war, and he didn't. He stayed home, saw Bathsheba bathing on the roof, inquired about her, had her come over. You know the story. Gets her pregnant. Then tries to deceive her husband coming back from war to to sleep with her, and he doesn't take the bait. He's too honorable. Anyways, then he has her husband killed, with many other people. David's sin just keeps compiling And he thinks he's gotten away with it until Nathan the prophet confronts him. So we went over all that last week. And then David wrote Psalm 51 as his expression of repentance for his sin. And I suggested to you that during that time when God said, part of the punishment for you is your baby's going to die. And as David's pleading with God to save the baby's life, I believe he wrote this psalm. This is my presumption. I can't prove that. Let's keep that context in mind. So let me remind you of last week, of the anatomy of repentance. We saw three things that that need to be in our repentance. One is knowing that God's character is the foundation for repentance. Actually, that's how we'll end the sermon today too, again. But knowing God's character is the foundation for repentance. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. So we see here the mercy, the love, and the compassion is the foundation of God's character that should pull us to repentance. God, this is at the heart of who God is. He wants us to come to him and lean on his compassion, his mercy, and his grace. We know from David's consequences, God can bring judgment. Can and does. But the Bible calls that God's strange work. At the heart of who he is, is a gracious, loving, compassionate God. 
Remember that in your repentance. Come, don't hide from him. Don't run away from him. Run to him. Ultimately, only God can cleanse us from our sins. We saw that last week. Verse 2, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. We'll revisit that this week. Verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. We talked about it last week, but it's also a major part of this week's message. Third, we learned last week that true repentance requires us to own our sin. Verse 3, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Too often we say, I'm sorry, but. And what does the but mean? I'm not really sorry. I have a good excuse why I did this and you should accept my excuse, not my apology. Let's own our sin, call it what it is. We always have excuses and they're pathetic usually. Mine are anyways. Um, so. Now let's look to the second half of the psalm for today. And we'll look start in verse 8. In the first point, the truly repentant desires to be restored to a relationship with God. This one is so important in my understanding of what salvation is. We somehow in our world have turned salvation into a transaction with Jesus. And I'll say this prayer, you'll give me forgiveness, and I'll go to heaven someday. So we've got a deal, right? I'm not denying my forgiveness. I'm not denying the repentance of saying a prayer to Jesus of forgiveness. I'm not denying the fact that, that I, I am forgiven to go to heaven. But salvation is a relationship of which those then are the benefits in that relationship. A forgiveness, a cleansing, a future hope that lasts forever. But if we only treat like a transaction, then our life in between that forgiveness and that entering glory is not live for him. It's usually live for us. So I want to keep in mind today, salvation is a relationship. And true repentance says, I've broken this relationship, Father. I have sinned against you and caused a problem. And, and just so you understand, my belief and my theology and this church's theology is that once God pulls you into his family and saves you, puts his spirit within you, he keeps you forever. So, so. So I had one person say, then why should I, if I'm forgiven, why do I need to confess my sins? I'm forgiven. That's treating salvation like a transaction. So husbands and wives, parents and children, when you offend each other, do you reject each other permanently? Be a little better at that. Do you reject each other permanently? Thank you so much. I was a little, I changed my, changed my sermon all of a sudden. Um, but there's now... A wall, if I've offended Teresa, I've put a wall up between us. And I need to go to her and say, I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? It's not about being brought back in as her husband. It's restoring the relationship as her husband. You with me on this? So we need, with the relationship with God, I can greatly offend him. And it hurts my walk with him. And repentance is that instrument he has graciously given us. Romans chapter 2 says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. In kindness, he pulls us in. Let's go. So let's look at verses 8 through 12. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Now, I would suggest to you here that God did not literally crush David's bones. But that he's describing physical effects his unrepentant heart has on his body. Listen to Psalm 32, which is another psalm of repentance. We read it last week. 
For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David describes a physical reaction to a spiritual truth that, God, I, I'm, I'm suffering. I have no joy anymore. My whole body aches because of my unrepentance, an unrepentant heart. Now I'm repenting, God, so restore to me that joy. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. He's pleading for this restored relationship. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. This is, this is a fancy poetic way of saying, will you forgive me? When you ask God to forgive you, what are you asking him to do? So, so this is very important. We need to talk more about this. I've done it before. We're not going to do it in, in extensive today. But what is forgiveness? It's certainly a cleansing. But what about the offense I did against him? You see, he says, I'm not going to hold, I'm not going to make you pay for that offense. I will carry the pain. I want you to think about that. Think about Christ on the cross. He forgave us because of the cross. But he went through unbelievable suffering that was really for us. Forgiveness is saying, I release you from the consequences, but I will carry them. God, hide your face from my sin. Blot out all my iniquity. There's two images in the Bible. I can never remember exactly where they are. Someday I'll remember to remember them. But one of them says that God takes your sins, drops them in this, into the sea, and remembers them no more. So don't think of Lake Tahoe here, even though it's 1,600 feet deep. We have the technology to get down there. When that was written in the Old Testament times, think of Lake Galilee, which is not as deep as this, but it's deep. Um, if something fell in the boat and went deeper than you could swim, it fell out of the boat and went deeper than you could swim, gone forever. So I drop your sins into the sea and I remember them no more. That's beautiful. It's not that God, God knows everything, does he not? He's omniscient. He knows, has all knowledge. It's not that he doesn't have cognitive remembrance of it. What it means is I'll never bring them up and throw them in your face. We as humans are pretty good at that, aren't we? I'll forgive you until it works for me not to. Then I'll remind you of your failures. God doesn't do that. His other imagery is, I'll remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. East is from the west. Let me get it right here. And that's a straight line. It's beautiful. That's what repentance does. Because my sin has broken my relationship with my father. My repentance, he pulls me back in. And says, you're all good now. Cherish your forgiveness. You are clean. And believe it or not, your, glory, your forgiveness brings him glory. Listen, listen to this verse from Isaiah 43. It's not on the screen. I am he who blots out your transgressions, God tells Israel. I am he, God speaking, who blots out your transgressions. For my own sake, he does it. And I will not remember your sins. Other passages, God says to Israel, I'm about to act. I'm about to act. You've shamed my name among the nations, but I'm about to act for my own name's sake. I'm about to act for my own glory by saving you. So you are cleansed, you are forgiven, you are restored, and God is glorified by forgiving you. Isn't that amazing? 
Now, don't, don't take this too far. Well, let's bring God glory and sin some more. We don't go there. Paul tells us that in Romans. But this whole process, God is pleased to forgive and cleanse, and then he is glorified. The third request Paul has here, excuse me, David has in verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. What is a steadfast spirit? That's one of those, those formal Bible translation languages I'm not sure we thought through. The New Living Translation, which tries to, to make it more um, comprehensible English, says, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a loyal spirit within me. Was David loyal to Yahweh when he sinned with Bathsheba and had her husband killed? Absolutely not. And part of, part of David's plea is dependent upon God's loyal love. Based upon your loyal love, forgive me. That's back in verse 1. So what David's asking for is, God, I was, I was unloyal to the covenant with you. Now I'm asking you to give me a loyal spirit. A willingness. He repeats it again in a few verses. We'll look at it again. But let me see here. Let, let, me, let me come back to that, okay? If I don't say, hey, you're coming back to that. Because he reminds us again. The fourth request is do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Now this one is troublesome. This one is troublesome. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. For us to really understand the fullness of this, we'd have to understand the difference between the covenant David is under, which is called the Mosaic Covenant. Moses meaning Moses brought, God brought a covenant to Israel through Moses called the law. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit was very different then than in the new covenant. We are in the new covenant. And I'm going to read the New Covenant passages and promises to you during communion today, later on. So we're taking communion after the, at the end of the service, so prepare your hearts for that. And part of, the, part of the promises in the New Covenant is both a new spirit within me, my spirit, regeneration, I'm a new person, and the Holy Spirit dwells in me permanently. See, David didn't live under that covenant. So David's saying... Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. But we've got to realize, when did the Holy Spirit come upon David? It's very clear in the, in, the, in the story. When he was anointed as king. And who was king before him? I want to remember your Bible history. Who was king before David? Saul was. And at one point earlier in the story, God put his spirit on Saul. And when Saul was disobedient and unfaithful, it specifically says God took his spirit away from Saul and put it on David. So I'm removing the mantle of kingship from you, Saul, which is sealed by the Holy Spirit. I'm taking that away from you and giving it to David. Now, David, David has done some egregious things before God. And part of David's repentant heart is, don't cast me away. And don't take your spirit from me. In other words, let me stay the king. Don't remove me from my position of kinghood. Is kinghood a word? Kingship. You know what I'm saying. Sometimes we'll read this today. See, I don't believe if God has brought you to that place and his kindness led you to repentance, 
you have come to him in a repentant heart, put your faith in Jesus Christ. The new covenant says he now changes you. You have a new heart. You are born again. And then in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, it says he puts his spirit in you as a seal, as a guarantee for the day of redemption, which is the second coming of Christ. The spirit in me now guarantees I'll get there. And I don't believe anyone who's gone through that process and been truly regenerated and filled with the spirit will ever be put out of the family, will never be cast to hell. All because of our gracious God. So that is a new covenant promise. David lived under the old covenant, and I don't have all the full ramifications yet figured out on that. It's a big topic. It's one worth researching yourself. So, verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. He repeats that idea of a willing spirit there. But grant me the joy of your salvation. You know, and I researched it. I, I said something in men's Bible study. So, men, if you were there, I made a mistake. I had mentioned the idea that the Bible talks more about the phrase your salvation, uh, uh, giving it to God. God, salvation comes from the Lord. It's his salvation he gives to me. That is stated more than my salvation. It turns out it's about equal as I did a search today. So, but nonetheless, restore to me the joy of your salvation. God, you've granted something to me. In fact, the word salvation there could be translated deliverance. David did not have the full understanding we have of, of the salvation we have that involves eternal life. Much of the Old Testament presumes at death there's no more. Even David says at one point, don't let me die, God, because no one praises you from Sheol. The Sheol is the place of the dead. So David didn't have a very full developed understanding. God hadn't revealed it yet, a full understanding of the afterlife. So when he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation, you have delivered me time and time again and brought me great joy. I want that joy back. Today, though, in our fuller understanding, as God has revealed more in the new covenant, the New Testament, of our salvation, which is what I just talked about, being born again and having this hope of eternal life, of walking with God forever, even after this body dies, um, there is incredible joy in that. And can you testify with me that when you sin and you're not quick to come to God and keep that record clean, but you hold on to it, you hide it, and you have this gnawing conscience at you, both your own conscience and the Holy Spirit saying, stupid, that's because of me. So I'm not calling you stupid, I'm calling me. I really, I really believe living in my sin is going stupid. That's what I call it. Why would I do that? Why would I sin and then hide it and not run to him for forgiveness? That's insanity. But that's what we do. So during that time, there is no joy. But when you realize, why am I living in this pain? Why am I living in this guilt? I have a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and one who relents concerning calamity. Why don't I run to him and be restored? Now, you know this, like David, he had many consequences the rest of his life. And my choices, my sins can bring great consequences in this life. But there's a cleansing from my father that I'm not sure there's greater joy than living in that cleansing. 
The truly repentant desires to be restored back to service. This, this one's interesting. It just drops right in the middle of it. Verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. So David has a role in Israel. His role is their shepherd. He's also a worship leader, Elena. He's a worship leader. He plays the harp. He sings. He wrote half of these psalms, which is Israel's hymn book. And in his sin, evidently that is diminished. So in his repentance, he wants a restoration back to ministry, back to serving others. When I understand my forgiveness, God, I'll tell other people about it. I'll teach transgressors your way so they too will turn back. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You are my God and Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. There's the worship leading. My open lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. See, sometimes because, because of our pride, and we'll go there next, I don't confess my sins to you, and you don't confess them to me. You know, wh which the Bible tells us to do that. Not I, You don't come to me to tell me your sins so that you can be forgiven. But there's power in us humbling ourselves to come before each other and say, man, I'm blowing it. Would you pray for me? I'm blowing it. Would you hold me accountable? Would you help me? There's power in that, great power. And David wants to be one of those people that do that. And then it results in we're going to praise God together. Lastly, the truly repentant is known by brokenness and humility. Verses 16 to 17. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. And you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Let's stop there. Weren't sacrifices and burnt offerings required by the law? So they're required of David. But he says you don't delight in them. What's, what's he saying? Think about it. Israel's history is that they were happy to keep the rules of sacrifice, happy to go through the rituals with a heart that was far from God. And God gets to the point during David's time and later during the prophet's time, he says, I hate your sacrifices. They stink to me. Your burnt offerings stink. They're a stench. Not because the physical activity offering is, is that way, but because unrepentant hearts are going through motions. So David is saying, ultimately, that's not what you want, God. What do you want? Verse 17, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. And that's my question for us as we prepare our hearts for communion is that in our sin, are we coming to God for forgiveness as a transaction simply because I go through these steps and I get forgiven? Or are we coming as his children to have a relationship restored with the God who loves us more than we could ever possibly comprehend? And that requires me to be humble and contrite in my sin. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, it'll be on the screen. It's worth writing down and, and meditating on. Isaiah is writing this several hundred years before Israel returns to the land to rebuild the temple. So Isaiah is prophesying of a future time. Because when Isaiah writes this, Israel has not been sent into captivity yet. 
But after he writes, they're sent into captivity. Then God brings them back to rebuild the temple because the, the, the Assyrians or the Babylonians destroyed the temple. So God is prophesying ahead of time to tell that generation what their attitude should be when they rebuild the temple. So with that background, thus says Yahweh. And for those of you, if you see all capital letters, L-O-R-D, that's God's name, Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? Get that image in your head. Israel had an earthly temple, okay? And, and imagine just for the sake of uh, say, the size of this room. It wasn't this big, but not, not the, the Holy of Holies. So the Holy Place and the Holy of Holies. But imagine this. God says, really? That's the house you're building for me? Where would you build a place for me? Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. So just get that image. God doesn't have a physical body, but he uses these images to get us to comprehend his vastness. God sitting back on the stars, putting his foot on the earth. And you're going to build a house for me? Really? Check your attitude is his point. All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares Yahweh. So your attitude building this temple, don't, don't presume because you're building this temple, I'm immediately pleased with you. But to this one, but this is the one to whom I will look with favor. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Psalm 51 mentioned humble and contrite. Isaiah adds trembles at my word. What's he talking about there? All during the time when Israel was not walking with their God, but still following the rules and the rituals of the temple, they actually believed this. They said it out loud in Jeremiah. God won't destroy his temple. He can't. He needs it. He needs it. So as long as we do these sacrifices, we're okay. And what God is saying here is, I don't need that temple. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. I don't need it. You need it. But your activity in that temple doesn't mean a squat if you're not humble and contrite and tremble at my word. Because God told them, if you keep doing this, I'm destroying that place. If you keep doing this, I'm destroying that place. And they said, he won't. He needs it. They had a false view of God and they presumed upon him. So when God tells us, God tells us by passages like Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 or 3, I can't remember exactly. Don't be mocked. Don't, don't be foolish, O Christian. God is not mocked. Whatever a man reaps, that he will sow. So, so we've got to be careful here and just presuming upon God's forgiveness, presuming upon, presuming upon his patience and kindness. We keep poking the bear, what's going to happen? Consequences. Will there be forgiveness afterwards? With a repentant heart, there's always forgiveness. This is the beauty. We humans sometimes can say, hey, that's strike three. You're out. I'm no longer even going to mess with you because you've offended me too many times. That's not God. But God wants, as David ends this psalm, a contrite, humble heart that takes God's word serious. So, I want to review this. We started this psalm series. This is my third series in the summer psalms. We're not doing them in order. We started with Psalm 145 because it was Frank's favorite psalm. 
And that was a general psalm about the purpose of the psalms, and that is to praise and worship God. And it gave us the character of God there, and really focused in on his grace and, compa- grace and compassion and love. So that's how we started this. That's why we come to the Psalms, as worship of God. But then it deals with a lot of our life situations. So we decided, I decided to take Psalm 51, lets us know who we are before God, as his image bearers who sin against him in the process of restoration. Know that your forgiveness is utterly dependent upon God's character and faithfulness. So this is why it's so important to know who God is. Your forgiveness is utterly dependent upon his character and his faithfulness. Salvation is a relationship, not a transaction. I want to reiterate that. Sin breaks that relationship, and restoration is needed. It's not that I'm no longer in his family. It's just that I'm not acting like I'm in his family, and I've brought offense to him. The scriptures tell us clearly you can bring great joy to God. Do you know that? You can put a smile on God's face. Ephesians tells us also that we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We can bring great grief to the heart of God by our disobedience. It's like, it's like those of you who have children who are small and they become teenagers and young adults, and at some point they do something so contrary to family values, it crushes your heart. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but most of us have been there at one point or another. It just, just hurts your heart bad. They're still our children. Restoration is needed. Repentance is the humble act of the heart that desires a restoration, a cleansing. And God is always faithful to forgive and cleanse and restore. And in that, we rejoice. Amen? So with that, I'm going to end this service with a prayer. And the worship team is going to come and lead us in rejoicing that we have been chosen by God. We have been redeemed. We've been changed in our hearts. He has given us his spirit. And he's made us with purpose. And with that, we will now rejoice in that identity. So come on up, team. Father, we thank you for these truths. Thank you for David and his story of of great success. And then his fall, Lord, fall down hard. And, And the consequences of his life, Lord, but ultimately before you, he is cleansed, he is forgiven. And he continues to worship you in, in the midst of everything, Lord. In the midst of the, of the good parts of life and the hard times of life. You are the object of his devotion. That's what we want for us. We want to be like the heart of David in that way. So, thank you, Lord. Um, thank you for your word. Thank you for this team now that's going to lead us to sing to you, our great God. All because of Jesus. In his name we pray.